The following audio is from Citizens Church in Charlotte, North Carolina. If you're interested in getting involved with our family, visit citizenscharlotte.com connect. Well, good morning. How are we doing this morning? It's good to be with you. If you haven't met before, my name is Tim. I'm one of the pastors here. I am not preaching today, uh, but I have the privilege of introducing our guest preacher, a uh, man by the name of Ryan Reich, uh, which we're really excited about. Uh, to give you some context, uh, Ryan is the pastor for care and recovery at a church called Midtown Fellowship in Columbia, South Carolina. And if you've been around since we've started, that will make sense. If you haven't, let me just help catch you up to speed. Uh, we as a church, Citizens Church, is a toddler. And what I mean by that is we uh, are only a little under three years old as a church. So in the summer of 2020, a group of folks moved from Columbia to join up with some folks up here to start uh, this little Jesus-centered family on mission with him. And the church that sent us here, it was not a split. We were not angry. We just believed in what was happening in Columbia so much that we wanted to see God do it again here in this city. And one of the pastors there is Ryan. And Ryan, uh, I got to work with him very closely on the group's team there. He is uh, one of my favorite pastors for this particular reason is that he has a shepherd's heart. He loves people and he loves God's word. And so I'm excited to get to sit uh, under his teaching and preaching today. Before we uh, pray for him and then I hand it over to him to bring God's word, let's stand together and I'm going to lead us in our reading of the Apostles' Creed. As we've been starting every sermon of this series, we've been reading the creed together before we preach from the scriptures. You can read this with me. The creed says, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. You guys pray with me. Lord, we give you the praise and the glory and the honor that you're due. We remember that this, what we are doing here, is not a, a show, it's not an act, it's not something we do to try to earn something from you because we have all of your affection and delight in the work of Jesus. And so we trust you, we hope in you, and we delight in you as those who are dearly beloved in Christ. So God, we welcome you to speak to us. Would you lower any barriers or push back? Would you free our minds of distractions? Would you speak to encourage, convict, confront, rebuke, whatever you need to do in our hearts today, Lord, would you do it by the power of your spirit? Speak through Ryan. Give him your words as he gives us the scriptures. We love you. Probably sings in Christ's name. Amen. You can have a seat and let's welcome Ryan with me. Well, thank you. Uh, thank you all so much. Thanks, Tim, for that uh, very generous introduction. Um, it, is, uh, it is really good to be here today, really good to see some familiar faces and a lot of brand new faces. So um, yeah, glad to make the drive up from Columbia uh, this morning. Like Tim said, I am one of the pastors at Midtown. Um, I uh, grew up actually in North Carolina. I think this is my first time preaching in North Carolina, so that's, that's a fun little homecoming. Um, I grew up in North Carolina in Winston-Salem, 
and moved down to Columbia to start school. Uh, I expected I would be in Columbia for exactly four years, maybe just a little less. Uh, and next month, it'll be 16 years. So, you know, you can make plans, but God makes it happen. Uh, I went to school at USC to um, hopefully become a vineyard owner and a winemaker. Uh, some things have changed <laughs> since God called me to be a pastor. Uh, the way that I put it is I realized God made me to drink and enjoy wine, but not to make it. So here I am. Uh, my primary role at our church uh, is, like Tim said, overseeing care and recovery. Uh, any of our counseling, I, I oversee that. Uh, any of our care stuff that comes up, I oversee that. And we have a 12-step recovery program through the church, and so I help oversee that as well. And uh, I'm excited to excited to be here this morning. Uh, excited that you guys meet at a YMCA. I'm actually, I'll talk about this in a little bit, but I'm training for a very long walk this fall, and I'm going to get some incline training in after, after we get done. So I might make this quick so I can go ahead and get that in. Uh, you guys are, are going through the Apostles' Creed. You've been going through that for a few weeks now. And the section of the Creed that you're looking at is the life of Jesus. So last week, you looked at his incarnation. This morning, we're going to look at Jesus' substitution. And then upcoming future weeks, his resurrection, his ascension, and his return. But this morning, as, we're, as we are looking at Jesus, uh, we are going to see that he suffered under Pontius Pilate. That Jesus was crucified, died, and was buried. And so for us to, to get there, what I'd like to uh, turn our attention to is found in Mark chapter 10. So if you've got a Bible, I want to encourage you to go ahead and flip to Mark chapter 10. We're going to be looking at verses uh, 42 through 45. So, again, looking at Mark chapter 10, verses 42 through 45, I'll read it for us. It'll also be on the screen, I believe. And this is God's word. And Jesus called them to him and said to them, You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their greatest ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you, but whoever would be great among you, must be your servant. Verse 45, and whoever would be first among you must be slave to all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. I'm going to read that last verse again. That's really where we're going to hone in. Verse 45, for even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but this is God's word and it's going to stand forever. So pray with me, if you will. Father, I pray that you would, uh, that you would be with us this morning. God, that you would help me as I teach your word. God, that you would show us uh, who you are, that you would show us what you are like. Any of the, the thoughts that we have about you that are off, God, I pray that you would expose those to us and that you would, um, and you would teach us. 
Father, any of the ways where, where we wrongly view others because of the way that we view you, God, would you, uh, would you bring that up? Would you bring that to, to, uh, to the surface so that we could uh, turn from those thoughts? God, would you renew our minds uh, through your word? We thank you for this time. We, we offer this time to you, Lord God, and it's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. Um, so I want to I want to kind of dive in here through through thinking through uh, the idea of symbols. So the very the the symbol at the very heart of our faith is a cross. Have you ever considered? I wonder how strange that is. Have you ever thought about what what the cross actually means and how it became our symbol? Every every movement. Uh, has a symbol, right? So uh, for folks of the, of the Jewish faith, they have the Star of David. Muslims have uh, a crescent and star. In the United States, we've got the bald eagle. Charlotte, you guys have a, have a crown as your symbol, right? It's something that you see and everybody understands this is what that means, right? Even the Carolina Panthers, right? You think that Panther logo is kind of outlined in the shape of North Carolina and South Carolina put together. People can look at that uh, all over the world and say, oh, that is the Carolina Panthers, right? It communicates something. I wonder if you've ever considered how strange it is that the symbol for our faith is a cross. It is something that is regarded as one of the most brutal forms of execution. Uh, even the word that we have in our English language, excruciating, comes from the word crucifixion, how someone dies on a cross. The cross, as a tool for executioners, was, was designed to cause as much pain possible for as long as possible. The cross was not designed for someone to have a quick and painless death. Executioners used a cross for folks who had committed heinous crimes and deserved to die a long, slow, painful death. And it, was, it was something that was so horrible that a good, upstanding Roman citizen wouldn't even mention its existence. They wouldn't even talk about it. It, it was something that was like, it's, it was there, and everybody knew it existed, and everybody knew what it was for, but she never talked about it. Today, we Christians, we put this symbol on our church buildings, right? Some of us wear this symbol as jewelry around our necks. Maybe we even get the cross tattooed on our bodies. Uh, in high school, I was... Uh, I, like I said, I grew up in North Carolina, I grew up in Winston-Salem. My high school French teacher, uh, we became really close. I went to Europe with my French class a couple of times in high school. We became super close. Uh, she even has this like cross-stitched like, doily in her kitchen, and it's got a cross on one side, and on the other side, in like, you know, nice, cute, cursive writing, it says, uh, the Christian life doesn't always pay well but the retirement plan is out of this world. 
I love that. I wasn't a Christian when I met her, and I became a Christian. I mean, I think she prayed me into the kingdom, honestly. Uh, that's, that is a true statement. I legitimately believe that. But uh, I remember, you know, as a freshman in high school, going over to her house and seeing that, and I was like, that's funny. I thought I was a Christian. I wasn't a Christian. Uh, but this, this picture, that would be the equivalent of our um, electric chair, is what we show everywhere. It's the symbol of our faith. It is a reminder of the execution of our faith's founder. Christians all over the world can disagree about any number of things. And in fact, Christians do disagree about any number of things. But one of the things that makes Christianity Christianity is the belief that the one who founded our faith, Jesus Christ, was executed as a criminal. And it has always been the symbol of our faith. And Mark 10 shows us why. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. So there's two things I want us to look at uh, this morning from that verse. And the first is this. The first thing I want us to see is that in the scriptures that we've read this morning, Jesus is teaching us about God. Jesus is teaching us about God. So in this passage, Jesus refers to himself as the Son of Man. And for, for those of us who are native English speakers, that, that might not mean very much to us on first pass through. But to the original hearers of that phrase, it would mean a lot more. The Son of Man, it's an Old Testament reference, and it was a title. It was one of the ways, among many, that uh, Jesus is declaring himself to be God. By calling himself the Son of Man, he is telling, and everybody understood this who were hearing him, he was coming and saying, I am God. He is declaring that he himself is the promised Messiah that was coming. The, the one who has been promised all throughout the Old Testament, Jesus shows up and says, it's me. Uh, I, I appreciate how an Anglican pastor, Sam Aubrey, puts it. He says, Jesus never claimed to be just a good moral teacher. He never claimed to be just a spiritual guide. Jesus Christ claimed to be the Son of Man the one who carries the authority of God. And that is not something that we can just ignore. That's not something that we can just breeze past or, or sweep under a rug. In this statement, Jesus is claiming to be the most powerful person in the history of the world. And he says, I didn't come to be served. I came to serve. He said, I didn't come to be served. I came to serve. And that's just not how people with power worked back then. And that's also not how people with power work today, right? One of the ways that you can tell how powerful someone is is by looking around them by seeing how many people they have to serve them. 
How many people do they employ? Uh, how many people whose, whose world and whose lives revolve around them? I've got a, uh, I've got a friend from college, uh, and this friend comes from an, an inordinate amount of wealth. Uh, I was talking about this friend with another friend who also comes from wealth, and I do not come from wealth, so, you know, I'm talking to these people, and I like, get goosebumps. I'm talking to this one friend who, who I think is like, you know, they're rich. And I mentioned this other friend from high school, and he's like, oh, oh, they've got money. And I'm like, no, that's you. <laughs> you know, it's, this, this, this friend has an inordinate amount of wealth. And a few years ago, there were some friends from school, and we were, we were kind of uh, having a, a reunion of sorts at, uh, at my friend's family's lodge. And when I say lodge, I do not want you to think about a cabin in the woods. Okay, uh, there were 10 of us. We all 10 had bedrooms with our own bathrooms in this lodge. This is not just one of the nicest places I've ever looked at. This is one of the nicest places I've ever thought about, okay? Uh, I kid you not, <laughs> the bathroom in my room at this lodge, bigger than my bedroom, and my bedroom and bathroom bigger than my house in Colombia. So this is an inordinate amount of wealth. Uh, it is a beautiful hunting lodge. It is in the middle of nowhere. It was, I guess you can get, it was a fun weekend that we had, <laughs> right? Uh, we just got to hang out. We got to be in one another's company. Uh, we got to reconnect and, and it, was, it was a really good time. Um, one of my favorite parts about this lodge is the lodge comes with a chef. And the lodge comes with a sous chef. <laughs> and the lodge comes with a waiter. So there's lots of free time that we had to spend, but dinner time, we, we were kind of on the clock because we had to get our meals into the chef a few weeks before and it's ready at six o'clock, right? So one of the last nights that we were there, uh, we were all sitting down, and my friend, whose family owns the property, he, he was finishing up showering and getting ready for dinner, um, and, and it's a few minutes past six, which is, which is odd, because dinner starts at six, and, and we start dinner on time at the lodge. But there's a few minutes past six, maybe six or three, six or four, it's nothing major, but we've all noticed, and you know, the, the waiter is going around and, and making us drinks. A few minutes go by about 6.07, uh, my friend comes to join us. He sits down at the table. Uh, the waiter immediately uh, goes into the kitchen, and not five seconds later, our meal comes out and is served to us by the waiter, the chef, and the sous chef. Uh, and I'm just, I'm just like noticing this, and I'm like, that's odd. We, we've been on time for dinner every night. I don't, I don't know why we're late. And so, uh, I asked my friend, he was sitting beside me, I asked him, why was dinner a little bit late? And he was like, well, he was a little bit embarrassed. He was like, well, whenever someone from the family is here, they are considered what's called the principal guest. And dinner is not served until the principal guest sits down. And that was the first time in my life that I realized, this is the life that God has made for me. <laughs> 
I was born to be in this family, and I just got to find a way in. I, I mean, it was, it was an incredible moment. I was like, the power. Lord, have mercy. I've chill bumps. When someone is powerful, they have lots and lots of people at their beck and call. They have lots and lots of people who serve them. And God is the creator of the universe, and he, he's the sustainer of the universe, right? He doesn't just come and make the earth and then move on. He keeps it going. He's the one who causes the weather, weather patterns that we have. He is the one who ensures that gravity is still going, or however scientists would say that. You know what I mean? Like, gravity's happening right now. We can all agree on that? That's because God is saying, gravity, keep it up, right? Jesus is the God who, who isn't limited. He isn't limited by time. He isn't limited by ability. He isn't limited by capacity. He, he never gets depleted. He never gets depleted. Jesus is claiming to be the one with ultimate power. And people who are powerful often come with a lot of servants. And yet Jesus says he's come not to be served, but to serve. So friends, this is what God is like. This is who God is. When we look at Jesus, we are looking at God himself. When Jesus speaks, God himself speaks. When Jesus teaches us about what he is like, we are learning what God is like. And it is very important for us to learn about what God is like, because you and I, all on our own, we can have some really messed up thoughts about God. We tend to think about him in some really twisted ways. So I want to do a little thought experiment with you this morning. Hypothetically, this isn't going to happen. Hypothetically, uh, after, after service, you go to your seminar, and then you go home, and you're having lunch. After lunch this afternoon, you are reclining in your living room. And, and let's pretend that God showed up at your house. And he, he shows up in, in the living room with you. What do you think the first thing he'd want to talk to you about was? Do you think that he would uh, want to bring up about how you need to be spending more time in Scripture? You need to be spending more time studying and memorizing and learning Scripture. You need to really uh, prioritize your morning time with him because it's been, it's been getting a little slack lately. Is that the first thing that you think God would want to talk to you about? Uh, or maybe you think he would say something, uh, he'd say something like, you know, it's good to see you this afternoon. I wanted to come talk to you because your generosity hadn't, it hadn't really been there lately. We need, to, we, need to, we need to be more generous here, okay? You're getting really caught up in all your stuff and, and in your savings account, and you need, to, you need to be giving more of your money away. Or maybe we think that Jesus would, would come talk to us and say, you need to be more moral. We, we need to be more spiritual, more religious. We often assume... I often assume that God's message to me 
would be something the lo- along the lines of, all right, here's, here's one of the ways in which you could do a better job serving me. But Christian, if God showed up at your house for a meeting this afternoon, the only thing on his agenda would be for him to go on and on and on about how much he loves you. The only thing that God would talk to you about this afternoon in your living room would be about how joyful he is that you belong to him and how much he loves you and how much he loves lavishing his grace on you. Jesus shows us that when God comes, he talks about the ways that he can serve us. That is what God is like. He is interested in you. He cares for you. He does not see you the way you imagine. He sees us as people worth serving. And what we learn about God through the scripture is that he has come into this world to serve us. And if that is surprising to you, then I bet the way that he does that is also going to be a surprise for you. The very first thing we learn in verse 45 is what God is like. But the second thing that I want us to see this morning is that Jesus teaches us about ourselves. Jesus uses this verse to teach us about us. Again, he said, even the Son of Man didn't come to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus is saying that the way, the the, the greatest way that he can serve us is to die as our substitute. Because in his dying, he will substitute our death for his life. He will be giving his life to us as a ransom. And we've, we've all, uh, maybe, we've all seen Dateline, right? We know what the word ransom means, right? Ransom, often uh, if someone is taken captive, uh, the captors will ask for like a wire transfer or maybe some Bitcoin these days. And, and the idea is if you give me $10 million, I'll let this captive go free. So what is Jesus saying when he says that he gives his life as a ransom for many? Well, he's saying that if his life is given as a ransom, then you and I are not free. We are captive. However you think, or even however you feel, Jesus is saying that you and I are not free. We are captives, and we need ransoming. There are lots of things in life that you and I have control over. We choose uh, when to get up each day. Uh, we choose where we're going to go. We're gonna, today, you all chose to, to come here. So in some sense, you and I are free. And yet in a deeper spiritual sense, we are not free at all. John 8.34 says it this way. It says, anyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. And all of us, in a, in a thousand different ways, we have given ourselves away to sin. We have given ourselves away to sin. We have given ourselves to a way of living and a way of being that we can't escape from. 
that we are captive to. And on, on top of that, we're also indebted. We are also indebted. Because of sin, Romans 6, 23 tells us that the wages of sin is death. We're going to uh, put it on the screen here for you. Uh, Romans 3, 23 through 25 says it this way. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. So uh, Romans uh, 3 and Romans 6 and John 8 tell us that we have earned death because of our sin. You and I have earned death because of our sin, because of the evil of our sin and the holiness of God, they can't be in the same place. And on the cross, Jesus took onto his body all of the consequences of our sin, the ways that you have failed God, the ways that you have failed to believe him, the ways that you have failed to trust him. But not only that, the, the ways that you have treated one another. We are good at hurting one another, and we are good at harming one another. And Jesus took all of that onto his body. In order for you to be made right, blood had to be shed. And the blood required was yours and mine. And on the cross, God substituted himself for us. When Paul uses the term propitiation, what he means is a satisfaction of wrath. That Jesus satisfied God's wrath. God's wrath was stirred up because of my sin and your sin. And in order for our relationship to be, sin divides. Sin destroys relationship. Any, any relationship that you have, friendship, marriage, uh, with your parents, with your, with your children, anytime sin is present, that sin divides that relationship. It destroys intimacy and love. And so when we sin against God, we have, we have turned from him. We have rejected him. And in order for that relationship to be okay, God's wrath must have been satisfied. And Jesus' suffering is what did it. His crucifixion and his death, they accomplished that for us. The suffering that Jesus went through that led him to the cross, that suffering was ours. That's what we deserved. The, 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 the anguish, the, the excruciating pain that Jesus felt, that was for us. That we earned, that we deserve. Not, we're not victims here. We are active participants in our sin. We were meant to go through that. We caused the anguish of the crucifixion, and it was meant for us. This was for, uh, and, and yet for, for God's people, we will never experience it. Because Christ himself did. You and I, Christian, have rebelled against a holy God. And the only way that that can be satisfied is through death. And the death that Christ died, that death was ours. So Jesus takes our suffering. Jesus takes our pain. He takes our death. The death that Christ died 
is the death that we all deserve to die. And what I want to tell you this morning is the good news that Jesus Christ suffered under Pontius Pilate. He was crucified, died, and was buried. But that's not the end. By dying and then being raised up from the dead three days later, Jesus himself defeated death. So while you might not be free right now, you can be. So I want to I close with this. How do we respond to this? How do we respond to this news? Well, there's two, there's two things I want us to see. Uh, the first is we let God serve us. He came to serve. And by putting your faith in him, you can trust that he is the one who came with all power, and yet he is the one who came to serve. And that can be hard. I was, uh, I was counseling with a woman at our church a few, a few months ago uh, through kind of some economic situation, but also like no fault of her own. She, she lost her job. And so we were meeting, because she, she was grieving. She had been uh, working in this position for, for quite some time. She was dealing with a lot of grief. And we came alongside, we wanted to help her spiritually, but also uh, financially. And so uh, at the close of our meeting, I said, I want to give you uh, some gift cards for grocery shopping. And she got so uncomfortable. She was like, oh, I, I can't do that. I can't do that. I said, why not? She's like, ah, there are so many people who need more help than I do. I'm like, what's this got to do about them? Can I not pay your mortgage for a month and give you some groceries? Like, I, absolutely not. She wouldn't have it. Because she wasn't okay not being the one who, who's in control of her finances. It was such, I mean, th this is pastoral counseling right here where it's like, oh, now we got to the thing that we needed to be talking about for the last hour. Oh, I found it. Okay, come back next week. <laughs> right? We have a hard, Americans, we we have a hard time being served. If, if we are people who are self-sufficient, why would we let someone serve us? We don't need to be served. And yet, that's what, that's what God offers. I bet someone here might be thinking, I hear you, preacher boy. I hear you, but there's this particular sin that I deal with, and it's too big. Or, or maybe, I've just fallen too many times. It's not that the sin is so big, it's just that it's so prevalent. There's no way that God can forgive me for that sin, which I run to over and over and over. Christian, I want to encourage you this morning. There is nothing lacking in the ransom Jesus has given for us. Because there is nothing more precious than the life he has laid down for us. No sin is too much for this Savior, you guys. No sin is too much. Jesus says, for even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. So I want to ask you, will you allow him to serve you this morning? We are not here to do something big for Jesus. Tim talked about this in the intro. We are here to let God serve us, to serve us with his crucifixion, with his death, with his burial, and yet, even with his resurrection, we will never have to experience the wrath that was coming for us because Jesus Christ is our substitute. He has served you by taking the penalty that you deserve 
That's what he does. That is who he is. That's the first way we respond. The second way that we respond is this. We allow the cross, the, the symbol of our faith, to lift our hearts to joy. We allow the cross to become joyful. That is why it is our symbol. Not because it is so painful and grotesque, but because it's what leads to such joy. So, so how, does he, how does he do this? So um, how does the cross lead us to joy? So I want to tell you about uh, a piece of artwork that, that I haven't seen personally, but, but I plan to. I mentioned um, earlier uh, that I'm, I'm training for something. So this fall, I am taking a sabbatical at our church. After seven years of pastoring, we are afforded a three or four month sabbatical. And I'm at year eight, so it's like I'm, I'm ready to cash in. <laughs> uh, we get a sabbatical to take a, take a break from ministry, to be rejuvenated, to rest, to have plenty of unhurried time with the Lord. And so a couple of years ago, you know, I had, um, I am one of the uh, newer pastors, more newly ordained pastors at our church. So I've gotten to witness uh, sabbaticals from other pastors, and I've gotten to uh, just make observations and see like, oh, I really like what they did, or oh, that, I'm not interested in what they did. Um, one, one of our pastors learned guitar. I was like, okay, cool. I'm good. I'm good. Uh, so I started thinking about what I would do for my sabbatical. And um, I had heard a, a number of years ago about a Christian pilgrimage that's uh, it's over 500 miles long in northern Spain. It's called the Camino de Santiago. It's, in English, it's the Way of St. James. So you start in this little town in, uh, in the Pyrenees Mountains in France, and you, you walk to the cathedral in Santiago de Compostela where, where James's tomb is located. And so along the way, there's, there's a lot of old art. Uh, there's lots of old churches along the way that, that kind of support pilgrims as they do this. And I don't, I don't know um, how many of you have uh, much of a Catholic background or how much Catholicism is in your background or how, how familiar you might be with the crucifix. Uh, but in Roman Catholic churches, the, the crosses are adorned with figures of Jesus hanging on them. But there's a, there's a crucifix in one town in Spain, uh, in the northern part of the Iberian Peninsula, that's different. And I think we've got it for, for you to see on the screen. Uh, this is the crucifix in one of the churches in Malid, Spain. And in it, we don't see Christ hanging by both arms from the cross. What's unique about this crucifix and what draws so many folks to it, to see it, to witness it, is that it's a picture of Jesus reaching down to all of us who are enslaved. Jesus is reaching down to all of us who are not free, even though we think we are, and even though we feel like we are. All of us who need someone to be our ransom. The, uh, as we were preparing this, this sermon and, and got to work with the all teaching team, someone uh, mentioned the, the book of Hebrews. And I love what the, what the, the author of Hebrews says, that for the joy set before him, Jesus endured the cross. If you're a Christian here this morning, what that means is that Jesus substituted his death for yours 
on the cross. And he did it with joy. What was that joy? It's you. Fellowship with you. Christian, when God, God thinks of you, it brings joy to his heart. And that, that happened because of the cross. Death no longer ruins your life. Because of the cross, Jesus' death gives us life. And the joy of the cross is that it is our way home. The cross is the penultimate act of service that Jesus offers. He serves us by dying on a cross so that we would no longer be bound to the chains that we run to over and over and over again. The joy of the cross is that through one of the worst forms of execution possible, God himself offers us freedom and life. So I don't know most of you, and I don't know where you are at this morning, but I would imagine that some of us need to be set free, even though we feel free. Yet we're enslaved to our desires, to our past, to our failures. We're enslaved to the stories that we tell of ourselves over and over again. And yet, church, this morning, Christ offers you freedom because the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. And you can find that, too, you, you were made free when he ransomed you. And you can come to the cross and you won't find anguish. You will find freedom. You can come to the cross and you will not find judgment. You find mercy. Come to the cross this morning and, and you won't find shame. You will find grace and acceptance. And so I pray that you would do that this morning. Pray with me. Father, I thank you for the love that you poured out for, for those of us who, who honestly, God, didn't want much to do with you. God, we weren't we weren't running after you, and yet you came running after us with freedom offered. You came to serve us, and yet, yet God, you, you are the most powerful person that has ever entered into our world. And so, Jesus, I thank you. I thank you for the love that you showed us through your life and through your, your suffering and your death. God, I thank you that through your cross, we can have freedom. Even those of us who feel free, who believe that we're free, we can actually be free. We don't have to deceive ourselves anymore. We don't have to play the game. So God, would you, would you show up this morning and would you offer us freedom and would you, would you cause our hearts to desire you and to, to accept that? Jesus, we love you. We thank you for, for first loving us. And it's in your name I pray. Amen.